How does the law of the vital few influence teamwork and team dynamics? If you lead a team or are part of a team, you absolutely want to pay attention to this episode of 8020 Productivity because in it, we discuss prices law. The law that predicts the distribution of productivity within teams according to the 8020 rule. Most things don't matter, but the few that matter matter a lot. Welcome to 8020 Productivity, the show dedicated to helping you do more by doing less so that you can have more time and energy to enjoy life to the fullest. Now here's your host, author, speaker, and productivity nerd, Anthony Sani. 50% of any given result is generated by the square root of the number of those who contribute to it. That's it. That is Price's law. This one law, when fully understood and acknowledged, can be used to multiply team productivity. If it is ignored, however, well, let's just say things tend to go much worse. And as organizations and individuals lean more and more to teams to create value, then understanding this law becomes even more vital. And for you personally, ignoring this law, that might mean that you're not making the most of your abilities, perhaps functioning below your potential, and you're not in an environment maybe that makes you a part of the vital few that produce the most value, that's not great. And if you lead a team, understanding this law, of course, helps you to understand how to structure that team. And we'll get into all of that. We'll talk specifically about what Price's Law is, how it affects leadership, how it affects organizations, how it affects individuals and team members. I'm sure you fit into one of those in some capacity. So what exactly is the law? We defined it already at the beginning. 50% of any given result is generated by the square root of the number of those who contribute to it. In other words, where you have a team, about half of the productivity of that team will come from the square root of the number of people on that team. So in a team of 10, half of the productivity will come from just three members of the team, which is the approximate square root of 10. You don't have tens of people. Let's just call it three. So three people will account for half the productivity. You could say in 80-20 terms that there is an inherent imbalance in the productive output of a team with a disproportionate amount of value being produced by a relatively small number of team members. In 80-20 terms, for this team of 10, then 50% of the value is produced by just 30% of the team. Strictly speaking, it would be a 50-30 expression. This might not sound so dramatic, definitely not as impressive as the nicer sounding and more skewed 80-20, but let's up the stakes a bit. Well, what if we had a team of 100? Now, all of a sudden, 50% of the work is being done by 10 people, a 50-10 relationship. Uh, suddenly more interesting, isn't it? In a research paper published by the Human Resource Management Associations, they found that, well, let me, let me give you a little bit of background. So they expected employee performance to follow a Gaussian distribution. In other words, a normal 
distribution, right? Something like what you have for height or even for intelligence, generally speaking, where you have a few people that are really short and a few people that are really tall, but most people fall in the middle around the average height region. This is your typical Gaussian distribution. A variation of this is also the bell curve distribution. And I'll put a link to that research paper in the show notes as well. That was the expectation that performance should follow that normal distribution where you have a few people that don't do a lot and a few people that do a lot, but that most people should be in the middle average. What they found was instead what they call a Parisian distribution. If that word sounds familiar, it's because it's related to the word Pareto which is, of course, the, from the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 principle. So you see Price's Law being directly relatable to Pareto's principle of 80-20, except, again, in this case, it's just an expression of the imbalance. So you don't have a Gaussian distribution when it comes to productivity in teams. What you have instead is a Parisian distribution related to the Pareto principle. The research by HRMA, it covered a wide variety of fields too. It wasn't just like sales, because you often hear prices law described in terms of sales. You know, 50% of sales are made by a handful of salespeople, et cetera, et cetera. That's a very common one you find floating around online. But this research, this research paper stood out to me because it covered a wide number of fields, from politics to entertainment. And it established this Parisian distribution, not to be confused with Parisian related to Paris, obviously. I hope I'm even saying it right. I think it's Parisian, maybe, I don't know. Distribution of performance. It found that it it applied across all these industries. In other words, only a a few employees matter, but they matter a lot. I know that sounds harsh, and I know every person matters. I believe every individual matters, but I say this in strict terms of output, not inherent value. Everybody is inherently valuable, but not everybody is going to produce the same amount or quality of output in a given field. You just won't. It just won't happen. There will always be that imbalance. As you might imagine, this has implications for you and I if we were ever to find ourselves in a team or as leaders of a team. But before we get into it, as we like to do on these deep dives, before we get into you know, the applications of the principle, we always like to nerd out a bit on some of the history of it. So let's talk a little bit about Derek J. Price. Let's talk about the law itself, and then we will get into the applications. Price's Law. This phenomenon was discovered by the late British physicist and historian Derek J. Price. Price actually started out studying physics and math in the University of London. He would go on to earn a PhD in experimental physics in the 1940s. So this is way back when. Now, it's necessary to point out that this law is not a true law. It's not a law in the sense that the law of gravity is a law, right? It's not immutable, as it were. But similar to Pareto's law, Pareto's principle or the 80-20 principle, it's more of a principle than a law. Even though it's generally referred to as Price's law, strictly speaking, scientifically, it is not a law. 
But back to Derek J. Price. Derek J. Price, as we said, was a physicist and he earned a PhD in experimental physics in the 1940s. But it was not during this time that he discovered his now famous law. In fact, throughout this time, his attention had been focused on math and physics. But while teaching math in Singapore, he met a fellow Brit, Dr. Cyril Cyril Northcote Parkinson. If that's if that name Parkinson rings a little productivity bell in your brain, it might be because this is the same person, Parkinson, who is responsible for Parkinson's law. The law that says that work tends to expand to fill the time allocated to it. Again, not really a law in the strict scientific sense, but it's incredibly consistent. Now, this expression of it saying work expands to fill the time allocated to it is a rather aggressive, albeit practical and useful summary of Parkinson's law. What Parkinson really showed was an analysis of the detrimental effects on productivity of excessive bureaucracy. But this is about Price's Law, not Parkinson. Maybe we'll cover Parkinson in another deep dive, but in the meantime, you can check out that blog post that I'll link to in the show notes where I talk about the practical uses of Parkinson's Law. But back to Derek Price. While teaching in Singapore, Derek Price was influenced by Parkinson, who at the time was a naval historian, and he was inspired to, pr to pursue his studies in the history of science. So he went on to get a second PhD in this area back in the University of Cambridge in the UK. It was this interest in the history of science that eventually led Price to analyze the productivity of the authors of scientific literature. This analysis was presented in one of the lectures that was published as part of his deeply influential book, called Little Science, Big Science in 1963. Now, what is noteworthy here is that in the book, Price's Law is actually building on his analysis of the statistical work of other scientists. Francis Galton, who was the, you know an incredibly prolific polymath in the 19th century, and Alfred Lotka, an American mathematician. So as often is the case, the person who popularizes something is not always the person who originates it fully. A lot of people, a lot of the scientists we know today who a lot of principles and laws are named after were really standing on the shoulders of giants. So that's that's encouraging to me and should be to you that, you know, you can stand on the shoulders of giants and achieve great things. But again, this is about prices law, not about standing on the shoulders of giants. But I bring that up to make the point that Derek Price was actually building on already existing sound mathematical basis. And what we know as Price's Law today is incredibly similar in formulation to Lotka's Law, the American mathematician, which was published under the journal title The Frequency Distribution of Scientific Product activity in the journal of of the washington academy of sciences doesn't that title sound awfully familiar to you yep in fact if you were to read Lotka's paper and i'll try to find a link to it and put it in the show notes you would see that it was actually Lotka who laid the mathematical foundation and did a lot of the number crunching to arrive at this law but regardless now we have this incredibly useful guide to understanding how team productivity works and in case you're thinking this is all really old, I mean, here I am talking about Victorian era polymaths and book published in 1963. 
Well, more recently, the author of Deep Work and Computer Sciences, Carl Newport, in his book Deep Work, restated this in Scientific Productivity with a few authors publishing most of the papers. So you see that it hasn't changed much since then. So let's keep talking about this law a little bit. You might notice that it's talking about scientific productivity. And this is one of the areas where we have to pay attention to the law and something that I talk about a little bit later that I will talk about a little bit later in the, in the episode is the implications of how productivity was measured. The productivity was measured simply based on numerical output. The number of articles a scientist publishes. It, he didn't necessarily look at the quality or the impact of those papers. And as people who understand the 80-20 principle, you understand that, you know, you could have one paper that completely changes the world like Einstein's paper did. Or you could have a dozen papers that really don't make any difference. But as far as we can tell from the research, as far as we can tell from the record, Derek Price was looking at numerical output as a measure for productivity. And that's where he came up with this, this relationship. And it's a square relationship. These tend to come up a lot, don't they? If you haven't listened to the episode on forced concentration, you might want to check that out because this square relationship seems to come up again. With that understanding, let's now get into the practical applications. How do you work with the concept? How can you use it? What's in it for you to understand Price's law? Okay, so what are the benefits of applying Price's principle? From now on, we'll just call it Price's principle, even though I understand that it's understood to be Price's, it's, it's called Price's law, but it's not really a law. We'll call it Price's principle for now. Applying Price's principle means that you get more out of yourself and your team. It helps you see whether or not you are part of the vital few if you were in the team. The vital few, of course, being the few that produce most of the value, making you hence indispensable in a sense. And as a leader, it helps you create and nurture effective teams. So let's break that up. Let's start with the, the perspective of the leader, of the manager, or of the business owner, okay? Here are two key takeaways that each of us can learn from Price's Law. Number one, if you are in management, hire only the A players. Hire only the A players. In other words, it's really important that you adopt an awareness of Price's Law and shoot to hire people who will produce, it sounds a bit obvious, right? Of course, nobody wants to hire someone who isn't productive. But when you understand the implications of adding people to your team who aren't productive and through the lens of Price's Law, you might want to take this more seriously. Let's do a little math here, okay? If you have a team of 10, like we said, and three people are contributing the most, 50% is contribu contributed by three people, if you scale that team up to 100, as we've seen, then, you know, about 10 people are producing 50% of the value. In the first scenario, you only have seven people producing 50% cumulatively altogether. In the second scenario, you have 90 people. That is incredibly expensive for an organization or a business to have 90 people producing as much as 10 people. So what do you do as a leader, as a business owner? Well, it's really very simple. Keep teams small. 
as much as possible. Keep functional teams small. It gets to a point where it's not practical. Some corporations grow to a point where they just can't do that. But can you have teams within teams? Keep teams small. You see this in, in, in industries where speed and efficiency are really important, like in, in industries that employ scrum masters, for example. One of the rules of scrum is that depending on what you read, they don't want development teams to be larger than typically nine to 10 people. Any more than that, and they say break it up into two teams, right? They understand something. Whether or not they're applying prices law directly, they understand that something happens with productivity. It's weird. When teams get larger, you just have a scaling up of maybe, you, I don't know what to call it. You want to call it incompetence? I don't know. You want to call it mediocrity? You want to call it laziness? It scales exponentially compared to productivity. So, that's probably the most practical thing you can take away from this as a manager or leader is keep your teams relatively small. The other thing you want to keep in mind, and I think I said I'm going to give you two, but let's keep going because there's more here that I apparently made notes on. The other thing is you want to reproduce your performers, reproduce those people that are producing value, get them to teach others, then go ahead and split the teams. So this is related to the point about keeping your team small. Reproduce your producers <laughs> and then split the team where possible so that the producers can continue to grow and they can reproduce themselves. And then your productivity across the board shoots up. Because remember, for every person that's not productive, it's not great for the team and it's not great for the organization. So instead of having 100 people in one team with 10 being productive and 90 not being productive, hypothetically, if you could have 10 teams of 10 people, you would have three times 10, right? In each team of 10, three people being super productive, you would have three times 10, 30 people. So you'd have three times the number of performers as you would have if you had kept the team one solid, one, one single team. Now, I know human beings don't actually work that way like numbers, but understanding this law, you can nurture a lot more productivity and, and fulfillment and, and just profit and effectiveness out of your teams if you kept them small. All right. What else can you do to apply prices law as a leader? You can retain your A players. Understanding that most of your productivity is going to come from a relatively small number of people well, you don't want to lose those people, right? Let's say, again, a team of 10. You have three people producing 50% producing of your gains, 50% productivity. If those three people left, not only would you lose half of your productivity, but you would have seven people that are largely overhead, now, what's going to happen, obviously, is potentially that team is going to reorganize itself and then you're going to have a few people pop up and be even more productive. But why, why take that chance? Why go through that? Why have your productivity overall be lowered by letting your A players go? So within reason, try to retain your A players, keep them happy, you know. And here's the other thing that I learned while, while researching this is your A players are usually the people who are most likely to leave if the environment doesn't support them, you know, in a way that's, again, within reason. Why is this? Well, they tend to, pe to be people who take initiative to begin with. That's why they're the A players and they're good at what they do. 
that's why they're the A players. I remember having a conversation with Brad King. Bradley has been on this podcast before. If you want to check out the the previous episodes, him and I talked about team effectiveness. And in, not on that episode, but in a private conversation, he told me a story about how he was helping an organization through some changes that they needed to make to help the organization be more effective. And he was in a conversation with a really senior leader in the in the organization. And there were a few people who were not really, you know, cooperating with the changes. They were not willing to adapt. They were just really making things difficult for the organization. And Brad, sensing that the, the leader was reluctant to take action on this, he asked the leader a question. He said, what's the worst that could happen with these people? And the leader said, well, the worst that could happen is that they leave. And Brad said, no, the worst that could happen is that they stay. And Brad's point was, as long as they stay, they're actually actively resisting the progress of the company. Now, this is the opposite with your A players. Your A players are the people who are facilitating productivity. So imagine if they left and you were left with these other kinds of people in your team, you know, probably not great for business, probably not great for productivity. So retain your A players, provide an environment that makes them feel comfortable, makes them feel valued, makes them feel like they can do more because guess what? They probably want to do more. Now let's talk about how Price's Law can help you as an individual, as a part of a team, whether it's a team of, of software developers, a team of writers, a team of whatever it is, right? Even a team of uh, as a partner in a business. What does Price's Law mean for you? Remember again what Price's Law says. It says that 50% of the productivity or of the value is produced by the square roots of the number of people that contribute to the result. So that means that you have the vital few who are doing a lot of the work and producing a lot of, well, I shouldn't say doing a lot of the work. I should say producing a lot of the value. Then you have the, I hate to call it trivial many because we are talking about people and it's not proper, I don't think, to refer to people as trivial. But in terms of productivity, you could say that their productivity on an individual basis is trivial compared to that of the of the vital few. They're not trivial people, but they're producing less productivity comparatively. So what does that mean for you? It means that you have to choose what side you want to be on. Do you want to be on the side of the vital few or do you want to be on the side of the, on the other side, let's call it. And I'm guessing, obviously, if you want to have a good time of your work, you want to be valued, you want to be somewhat indispensable. Nobody's truly indispensable. But if you want to kind of secure your place in your organization or in your career or in your industry, you want to have that reputation of being producer, a performer. Now, let me just make it very clear here that I am not suggesting that you need to become, you know, the type A, nothing wrong with being a type A, but you don't have to become that type A personality. You don't have to overwork yourself and overburden yourself. One of the principles we hold dear on this podcast is the ability to be smart, to do more by doing less. However, having a goal to be 
one of the ones that produce the most value is, is worthwhile in light of prices law because it means that you will be one of those a players that organizations really that your organization is going to need but again that doesn't mean you necessarily have to do more work it just means you have to do the right work and so living by the 80 20 principle or by the law of divided few will, will actually help you to create more value potentially with less effort you might be just an idea that you get right that transforms the business i remember working with someone who was a director of a department in the post-secondary at the time and he said that he had come up with a product and, you know just for confidentiality reasons i won't mention the company or the person but it's a very well-known company in the financial services area in in canada here and he had worked for that company and he had come up with an idea for a product as a pet project of his and that product had gone on to make a huge amount of profit once it launched it was a, it was a it was a feature that they added to their software that made a ton of money and that led to him being you know of course apart from being highly valued it led to him being able to command more respect command more income command more influence within the organization so he worked probably maybe even less at least as much as somebody else and the other people in that company and in that team but he worked on the right thing and that's an important point to take from this is not just working more so that you can become part of the vital few, but working on the vital few things that will help you become part of that vital few. This is what I alluded to earlier about Derek J. Price's research. He looked only at volume of productivity, not impact. So let's not make the same mistake. As much as Price's principle holds true and is incredibly consistent, remember that it's really about the quality of what you produce these days that produces value. It's not necessarily the number of widgets, the number of widgets, especially for those of us listening to a podcast like this, you're probably knowledge workers and the quality of your work is really what might differentiate the value that it produces. But let's not get into too much detail because we all also know right that quality also has diminishing returns sometimes you just got to get things done but let's not get into that i just wanted to plant that 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 caveat in your mind that it's not always about the volume of work part of living the 80 20 principle and living by the law of the right of few is understanding what actually creates value and if it's quality then you might want to go more for the quality of work not just the volume of the work and we're going to talk about that a little bit more so your role your skills, your personality, understanding your company, understanding your boss, understanding the industry, all these are things that affect how much you can actually achieve in a given role. You have to identify the environmental blocks from excellence. The environmental blocks are those on the outside, you know, again, the company, perhaps your boss, the culture of the company, the environment of the company. Does the company foster or foster your skills? Does it align with you and values? And the industry too. Does the industry fit? Some certain industries have certain demands, just being in that industry. You know, there are certain challenges that come with being in the hospitality industry, challenges that come with being in sales, challenges that come with being part of a tech startup. These are all things you have to consider. Do those challenges align with your strengths? Because if you really want to be 
part of the vital few in an industry or in a company or in a job, etc. It's important that the environment play to your strengths. And if you want to, again, this is something else we talked about in the theory, in the episode on forced concentration where I introduced the 300 rule. So you might want to go check that out. But the point is you want to stack the deck in your favor so that your skills are in your, you are trying to use your skills in an area where those skills are valued. You're not trying to force yourself into into an industry or a company or a job or a role within a company that doesn't play well to your strengths. And in in my book, The Law of the Vital Few, I talk about how it's important to make a list of the things you're good at. And be honest with yourself about this list. These are things that typically come easy to you that other people struggle with. Make a list of them as long as you can. And then compare how much of that list you use on a day-to-day basis at work. And this can be a painful but definitely a worthwhile experience because you might find that, yeah, you're in the right place. You're using your skills, the things you're good at. They constitute the bulk of what you do, how you create value in your work. Or, unfortunately, for some people, they find that it's not what they're good at. They're not really trading with the with their best currency. And that's why perhaps they're struggling. And sometimes the industry is perfect for you. It's the right industry, but maybe just not the right company. Remember, you're looking for environmental challenges, that environmental challenges or environmental boons, environmental benefits that will either help you become or remain or improve as one of the vital few or are actually stopping you. The other thing you got to think about is personalities. You might have heard the expression, people don't quit jobs, they quit managers or they quit bosses. If there is a personality, somebody in power that's making your life difficult, it's hard to overestimate how much of an impact that can have on your ability to be productive. So look at that as well. Are there human factors that are stopping you from being part of the vital few, according to Price's Law? These are all externals. What about internally? Are you stopping yourself? Aside from the external environment, internally, are you stopping yourself? Are you holding back? Are you not developing yourself in the skills that you have? Have you even looked at it this way at all? Have you? Do you have the desire to be a star player? Some people just don't. And, you know, you could argue good for them. But at the same time, it begs the question, then what really is it that they're after? You know, ultimately, you have to decide for yourself how much that role or that job or that or that thing means to you. And if that's not where you want to derive your sense of 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 excellence, then maybe it's somewhere else. But as long as you're in a domain where you want to derive a sense of excellence, I think it's worthwhile to 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 shoot for being part of the the vital few that creates the most value. So there you have it, a brief overview of Price's Law and its implications for you, first as a leader, but also as a member of any team. I invite you to explore this concept of Price's Law, this Price's Principle, as we're calling it, and see how you can use it to enrich your life and your productivity or the productivity of your team. At the end of the day, it can be summarized in the simple saying that intelligence, ability might be Gaussian, 
normal distribution, but performance is Parisian power law distribution. Intelligence depends on context in order for it to become performance. So while the intelligence of a population may follow a Gaussian distribution in any given team, the productivity will follow a power law, Parisian distribution. You want to create the context, whether it's for yourself or for your teams, for excellence and productivity to thrive. This brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it educational, insightful, or at least entertaining. And until the next episode, remember, it's not what you know that matters. It is what you do with what you know. Thank you for listening to 8020 Productivity. If you enjoy the show, then subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And if you'd like to learn about how Anthony can help you or your organization drive gains through smart, focused productivity, then head over to anthonysani.com. Until the next episode, stay true to your vital few.